Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. God bless you. It's good to be with you again. For those of you who are regular attenders or tuners in, I was away last weekend in Mexico on a mission trip with a church. Uh, it was a wonderful trip. We built a classroom that's attached to a church for a, a, a project going on down there. There's a, a pastor in Mexico named Pastor Daniel, and uh, uh, more than a decade ago, he had a vision to plant 50 churches. And what he does is he buys a lot, builds the church, builds a classroom, builds the pastor's house, and blesses the neighborhood with it. So he set out to build 50 churches. This was church number 50. We got to build the classroom for church number 50. And this week, the church building itself was going up with other church groups going down there. And so that's an amazing vision that's coming to completion. And now he says he wants to build 500 churches. So we, we, built, we contributed to the 50th one, uh, and it, it was a wonderful trip. And while we were there, our team with uh, one of the pastors from Mexico uh, talked and prayed with one of the workers who was on the site. One of the Mexican workers was on the site helping us, and he decided to follow Jesus. He accepted Jesus into his heart, and so we uh, prayed and blessed him, and we're thankful that God moved in that way. And so our faith candle is lit again uh, at the Glendora campus, at the Valley Center campus, and uh, you can light a candle at home too. That's a good That's a good reminder of what we're about as a church and what God is doing. So great trip. I'm so thankful to a church that is so generous. You made that trip happen. It was back before the pandemic that we put a call out and said, building this structure costs $8,000 can everybody contribute a little bit to pay for the house? And you all did. And we raised the money actually before the pandemic and, and they helped, we gave it to them and said, hold on, we're gonna come build a building after things are clear again. And things are finally clear and we went and did that. But it was your generosity that contributed to making that happen. And for members of the trip who had to raise money and post it online, you all contributed and made that trip financially possible for them because we had to pay for our, our room and board while we were down there. So, uh, so again, just thank you so much for being such a gracious and generous church that knows that God loves you and takes care of you and, and wants to bless you so that you can bless the world. And that's, that's what we did last week. That was, that was real life church. Even if you couldn't be a part of that trip, if you couldn't go down there, you were a part of praying for it. You were a part of supporting it financially. Uh, you were part of this church that makes those kinds of things happen. So thank you all for being so, uh, so generous and so gracious. Also notice something kind of funny down there. It's interesting that Jesus was a carpenter and is also named after the two words that I'm most likely to scream out when I hit my thumb with a hammer. <laughs> Just kidding. It was a great trip, and I'm so thankful. Uh, let's uh, let's turn to our studies for the morning. We've been in a series now on the Gospel of Luke called Who Was Jesus? And we're looking at the life of Jesus and what he did and what he taught and what he called into being in his disciples and in his church. And we've seen that Jesus was a surprise to everyone who discovered him. And we've seen that Jesus comes to a point where he sends his disciples out to carry on his mission and ministry. And you and I inherit that call. When we follow Jesus, we are called to purpose. We are called to mission. We are called to real life. We're called to go out and love and bless the world in Jesus' name. And as we do that, God's spirit flows through us. And when you let God's spirit 
enter into your life and flow through you. You get to see amazing things in your life and in your world. So we're going to continue in our, our series on the, the life of Jesus. And now Luke shifts. He sent his teachers out. And now there's kind of a, in the middle of Luke, there's a block of different teachings, uh, especially parables, little stories, that, uh, fictional stories that Jesus crafts to make a point, either about theology or about morality. And there's one subject that Jesus goes back to over and over again in his teachings. His favorite topic is the kingdom of God. He talks about that more than anything else. But among moral issues, one of the things he goes back to probably more than any other is the love of money. And Jesus has some hard and challenging things to say about the love of money because he knows it is one of the chief rivals to the kingdom of God in competing for our hearts. At one point, he says, you cannot love both God and money. And so today we come to one of Jesus' parables. Uh, we'll dive in and see what he has to say today. Pray with me. You over the Glendora campus, bow your heads, you online, close your eyes, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for coming after us when we were in open rebellion against you, when we had rejected you and run away, when we had damaged and destroyed our lives with selfishness and with sin. By the power of your spirit, you have redeemed us. Through the pathway of the cross, you have opened up a door that we might return to relationship with you and to real life live meaningfully on this earth and to eternity in heaven. Jesus, by the power of your spirit, now bless our study of your word. We cannot read it without your guidance. So, by the power of your spirit, open our hearts to your will and our minds to your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up. We're going to dive back into the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're going to read now a famous uh, parable of Jesus uh, in, uh, in Luke. And it's, uh, it's a, a parable about, uh, about money. It's a, it's a parable that uh, uh, Jesus taught to the crowds that had gathered around him, uh, and a challenging one uh, in Luke uh, 12, uh, at verse 25. Here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? Now, notice Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh, God walking the earth. And, and Jesus could have said, here's the answer. But instead of answering directly, Jesus points this person with a good question towards the Bible. He says, go to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Because Jesus says over and over again, the scriptures, the law of Moses points towards me, points towards Jesus. So if you want to know the truth, look at God's word first. What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, there's a fascinating historical context going on right now because one of the big questions of the, the ancient Jewish world was, how do we read the law? The law is huge. There, there are five books that they called the law, the first five books of the Bible, but, but then you have all the prophets as well, the histories. There's a lot of reading in there. 
And in the commandments, in the actual imperatives of God, do this, don't do that, there's over 600 of them. So one of the questions the rabbis would often discuss and debate is, which ones are most important? And and, uh, Jesus' primary conflict was with the religious teachers of his day known as the Pharisees. And the conflict arises because the Pharisees want to read God's love through God's legalism, through God's judgment. And Jesus reads God's laws through God's love. And so the question here is, which lens do we use? Which commandment is the greatest? Which one do we use to to filter all the other ones? And there were two schools of Jewish thought in the generation before Jesus from two Jewish rabbis named Hillel and Shammai. And Hillel, who was generally thought to be the more open of the two, uh, would say the two greatest commandments are love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Shammai, who is a little bit more strict and legalistic, would say the two greatest commandments are love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and keep the Sabbath day. Keep the rules. You got to keep those boundaries on the rules. Hillel, love God, love your neighbor. And so Jesus says, what do you think? What do you think the law says? And this guy says, I'm with the school of Hillel. I think he's right. And Jesus says, that's correct. Hillel's got it right. Right? So, so Jesus actually is not creating a teaching here. He is falling into a stream of teachings and conversations that already exist. And he says, look, look at what the law says. The law points to the truth, but you've got to have the right lens. And, and the, lens is, the lens is this. Read the, the laws through love. Don't read God's love through law. The laws exist because, because God loves us. He doesn't first create a bunch of laws, try to rein us in, discipline us, and then decide to love us. And this is a hard one to get your mind around. You may not realize that you're using one filter or another because most of us got our filter from our parents or whoever raised us. And if they raised us very strictly and legalistically and made us feel guilty, we we sometimes assume God is the same way. We may not even think it, uh, we may not even name it out loud, but that's how we approach God anxiously nervously, guiltily. And Jesus says, the laws were created because God loves us. Read it through the lens of love. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. This man asking Jesus questions wanted to justify himself, wanted to to look good, wanted to look righteous. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor, right? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And And the man says, and who's that? Who's the neighbor? Again, this is a question that was already being discussed. The rabbis were discussing who's the neighbor we're supposed to love because deep in the the ethic of the Hebrew scriptures was the teaching that if there was a foreigner within your gates, you welcomed them in, you took them into your house, you cared for them as one of your own, you didn't charge them, you, you honored them and blessed them as someone that God had brought to your doorway. That runs deeply in the scriptures. My wife and I have taken exchange students into our house and love the experience, and don't just do it because it's a passing curiosity. It's not just a hobby or a frivolous thing to do. We are living into the the deep ethic of the Hebrew scriptures that says, take foreigners into your home. Don't just give them a handout and send them on their way. Take them in as one of your own. Bless other people in Jesus' name. The, The vision of Israel was not that it would keep everyone out. It's that it would invite people in and transform them. And that's the call of you and I as followers of Jesus. And and so 
the, the question being discussed by the rabbis in the first century, so who do we have to let in? Because always it's been, well, Jewish people are insiders and Gentiles might pollute us, so let's keep them out. So the first question is, are the Romans our neighbors? Are the Romans, who are not Jewish, who rule over us, who rule over us, are they our neighbors? And uh, uh, Shammai, the, the more strict of the, the two, would say, uh, no, not the, not the Romans. You only God-fearing Jewish people, practicing God-fearing Jewish people, those are the ones you welcome in, not the Romans. Uh, Hillel, who is a little more open of the two, would say, the Romans as well. You, you welcome the Romans as well. Uh, you can hearken back to the scriptures where Jeremiah says, when you live in a foreign country like Babylon, pray for Babylon's success. It's not your home, but it's where you live, so you pray for them too. So Hillel would say, we welcome the Romans as our neighbors. What about the Samaritans? Do we have to welcome in the ethnic group that's a little bit separate from the Jewish people, though they have common roots? But somewhere along the way, historically, we got separated, and now they believe different theological things. Do we have to treat them as our neighbors? Shammai would say, no, of course not. I told you not the Romans, definitely not the Samaritans. Hillel would say, yes, the Romans, but no, not the Samaritans, because they're worse. They, they share a common bloodline, but they are polluting our faith by teaching wrong things. The Romans are going to teach wrong things because they're pagans. They're not, they're not part. But the Samaritans claim to be in the right line. They, they claim to believe in our God, and they're getting our God wrong. So they are not our neighbors. Who is our neighbor? The man asked Jesus. Verse 30, Jesus, uh, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Uh, there, there were stipulations about the priests who worked in the temple that if you touched, for instance, if you touched blood, you were unclean. And you couldn't go in to the temple until you went through uh, a, a, a period of time and a, several washing rituals. So if he stopped and touched this man, he would make himself unclean and it would prevent him from carrying out the business of the temple. So the priest walks by on the other side. Verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A, a Levite was uh, part of a tribe that descended from Levi. In the book of Genesis, there's a guy named Levi, and the Levites are the descendants. And the, the priests come from the family, the tribe of the Levites. But you can be a Levite without being a priest. So if you're a priest, you're definitely a Levite, but you can be a Levite without being a priest. And so Jesus basically says, the priest passed by on the other side. Not only him, his whole tribe, the Levites, just walked by on the other side. They ignored it too. They ignored this suffering man too. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. Now you have to get in the shoes of the first century audience and think about what they were feeling and hearing. Samaritans were hated people. Those are not our neighbors. Even Hillel says so. In the, in the history of the Jewish people, there was a time where the, the Jewish people went off into slavery in Babylon, and the Samaritans were the group of people who did not go into slavery. They were left behind. So they did not share in the suffering of Israel, of, of the Jewish people. When the Jewish people migrate back, they find these people living in the land, and, and they say, who are you? And they say, well, we're the descendants of the people who stayed behind. And, and they have slightly different theological beliefs now. And the Jewish people say, you're not us. 
you didn't go with us. God's people went into slavery in Babylon. However you escaped it, you stayed behind. You are not part of us. So when Jesus in his parable says, a Samaritan came along, the good Jewish people listening, we go, ah, this is going to be good. The priest walked by, the Levite walked by, the Samaritan's definitely going to walk by. They're terrible people. We don't even talk to them. We don't associate with Samaritans. They're, they're unclean and they pollute our family. We're not going to associate them. So, so now if you're a listener, you're getting excited because you, you want Jesus to tell a parable against the Samaritans. But a Samaritan who had the wrong DNA, right? Their DNA was polluted. They're, they're, now, they're now in the wrong line because they didn't go off into Babylon. Uh, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Those were used for medicinal purposes. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. A denarii is a, a, a denarius is a coin that was worth a day's labor. So if you worked for a day, the, the employer would give you a denarius, and you could go and then trade that in the marketplace for, for food. So he gave him two days worth of money uh, and give it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I'm covering everything I think it's going to take, and I promise I'll cover anything more. Now, Jesus asks, which of, the, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The man won't even say it was a Samaritan. Jesus says, who did, who did right? And the man only says, the one who had mercy. He doesn't say the Samaritan did right. Because Samaritans don't do right. And you can't have that in your good Jewish parables. What Jesus does here is he makes the hero of his parable somebody who is hated by the Jewish people. The question was, who's my neighbor? Shammai said, not the Samaritans. Hillel said, not the Samaritans. And Jesus says, who's the best neighbor in the story? Go be like a Samaritan who did right. That would have been so offensive to a Jewish audience. It'd be like taking a conservative evangelical Christian audience today and telling a story about a really good Muslim who did right and then saying, now Christians, go be like that Muslim. Or taking somebody from the LGBTQ community and saying in the church, go be like that, that, that gay person. And seeing what kind of effect that brings out of your congregation when you tell a story like that. That would have been the effect of the Good Samaritan on Jewish people who didn't like Samaritans. The Samaritans had wrong DNA. And Jesus, here at the beginning of his ministry, is founding the DNA, is starting the DNA, creating the DNA of a new movement, which will be different than the Jewish faith that was practiced before him. He is creating a new DNA. And so the, the teachings that Jesus shares in the Gospel of Luke are absolutely foundational. This is what we should go back again and again and again. We should read the Bible every day, especially the life and teachings of Jesus, and say, what did he do? What did he care about? What did he say? Where was his mind? We want to be like him. Because he was laying out a DNA that he wanted us to live into. 
And in the story of the Good Samaritan, he says, that person that you all think had bad DNA, I want that DNA in you. I want you to have Samaritan DNA. DNA, you know how biological DNA works. It, it shapes who you are. It shapes your hair color, your eye color, your height. You know, all kinds of things are shaped. The, the soci, sociological factors might affect you, but, but your DNA is, is your hardwiring. It shapes a lot of who you become. There's, there's a cultural DNA that happens when, when something is founded, when something is started. And it's hard to change the cultural DNA of an organization or a movement or a country. Uh, you can see that in the, the history, of, uh, history of any country out there. Uh, I was reading uh, The Prince by Machiavelli, which was written in 15, published in 1532. And, uh, and <laughs> the, Machiavelli was instructing Italian leaders on how to go conquer other countries. And at one point he says, the French are really hard to conquer because they're not loyal to the king. You can kill their king. They don't care. They're not, they weren't that loyal to the king in the first place. They're not going to be loyal to you. And it's funny because I'm reading that, and in the news this last week, the, the French labor unions were all marching out because the, the French government is trying to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64 for financial reasons. And all the labor unions said, absolutely not. We're out of here. We're not working. We're all on strike. We're protesting. <laughs> so hundreds of years ago, the message was, the French are hard to conquer. They're not real loyal to the, the leaders. And exactly the same thing is going on because the DNA was written into the country centuries ago. And it doesn't change a whole lot. Same thing's true in the United States. I have all kinds of friends who have moved to the United States from other countries and they are baffled at the way we do things. And they say, look, it's a very... It's a very Christianized country compared to a lot of countries out there. There are churches everywhere in America. You guys talk about and follow and love and are committed to the guy who said, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, don't repay evil with evil. If somebody steals your coat from you, give them your shirt as well. You follow that guy. And then like half of you own a gun and are ready to shoot somebody. What? How? How do, how do those two things get together culturally? And I say, well, it's, it's in our DNA. When the, America was founded, when the, the uh, colonists came over here before it was even a country, they came over here for freedom of speech and freedom of religion. They didn't want a king telling them what to think or what to say. They wanted freedom, particularly freedom of religion. That was an important one. And so that's the First Amendment of our Constitution, free speech, freedom of religion. The king doesn't get to tell you what to believe. And when the British sailed across the ocean to take the colonies back because the colonies were revolting. This was back before they had invented camouflage, and so the British all wore incredibly bright red coats to fight in. They painted themselves the color of the bullseye of a target in order to go into war. And the British were driven back because all the colonist farmers got guns and shot at them, and they got back on their boats and went back home. And so the Second Amendment of the Constitution is right to bear arms. It's written into our our DNA, it's written into our constitution. And I, I get the irony. Love your enemies, don't repay evil with evil, everybody can own a gun. The, it's, it's ironic, but it's written into our DNA. And hundreds of years later, it's exactly the same. Cultural DNA is deep. And so when you create a new organization or a new church or a new movement the way Jesus did, you write into it the DNA that you want to last for centuries. Because DNA is hard to shake off. DNA goes deep. And so in the same way that countries have DNA, churches have DNA. Christian movements have DNA. 
and the teachings of Jesus were a transfusion of his blood into our veins. It was the implanting of the DNA of Jesus into our hearts because our hearts had grown corrupt and broken and polluted, and he wanted to give us new life. And, and the blood that he shed on the cross, when we believe in him, gets into our DNA and changes our identity. And that's exactly what he meant for it to do. So the teachings of Jesus are the foundational DNA of the movement of Jesus, the church. I've said here at Real Life, our DNA can be summed up in a little alliteration, uh, prayer parties and pantries. That's what we do. We love prayer. Jesus is deep in our hearts. We want to spend every day in prayer. We have prayer classes. We have a first Friday prayer meeting. We want to live lives of prayer where we are seeking to constantly commune with Jesus. We want to be in daily conversation with him. We like to throw parties around real life. And that is not frivolous. That's not entertainment. When Jesus tells parables about the kingdom of heaven, he compares them to banquets, which are parties with lots of food. When we have barbecues at Real Life Church, we are walking on holy ground. Right? Uh, Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding. That was his first miracle. Jesus loved for people to celebrate. That is not frivolous, and it's not entertainment. The church is here to declare war on anxiety and greed, on fear and loneliness. And when we celebrate the good life that God has given us, that is not a frivolous thing. That is living into our calling to be the people of God who follow the one who said, I have come to give you an abundant life. I want you to have joy. It is a fruit of the spirit of following me. When, when we throw parties at real life and invite people to our party, invite people who don't know Jesus and maybe far from God and don't, don't feel good about going to church, when we invite them, that's not entertainment. That's, that's the DNA of Jesus that he planted at the very beginning. Prayer, parties, and pantries. And pantries ju is just saying that we live uh, lives of compassion for people with special need. We started a pantry uh, this last uh, year, and we now feed over 250 people every Saturday that we host it. Sometimes up to 500 people we feed at a time. You should have been here a couple weeks ago when we had the pantry, and we had a couple dozen volunteers serving in the rain to make sure that people who needed food could get food. You are such a good church. We, we, we went down to Mexico to build a classroom for a group of people that we may never see again. We won't get to celebrate their joys except remotely watching on social media. But we did that because God loves us and takes care of us and wants to send us out into the world to bless other people. We are a church that lives for compassion towards strangers, towards people who cannot repay us. Not just because it makes us feel good or because we think we're going to get brownie points with God, but because this is how Jesus made us. It is his DNA, and it's how he wants us to live. We live lives of prayer at Real Life Church because I want that in the DNA of real life for as long as real life exists. We throw great parties, not for fun and entertainment, but to celebrate the life that God gave us, to invite people out of brokenness and anxiety and into real life and new life. I want that in our DNA. And we live to put on pantries 
and mission trips and compassionate care for people in desperate need. I want that in our DNA. And that's the Samaritan DNA. That's what the Good Samaritan was all about. Jesus says, when you're walking down the road and you see the person who is a stranger from whatever wrong social group they're in, whatever group you've decided to rule out, you stop, you put aside your schedule, and you sacrifice your resources, and you care for that stranger. You don't go and work out a schedule where they have to repay you because you're giving to them and they have to pay it back. You, out of the generosity of your heart, you provide for them because God has provided everything for you. The story of the Good Samaritan says, we are going to love across the, the racial boundaries that have been created historically that should not be in our DNA. We're going to love those groups that whatever previous generation told us was bad or polluted or untouchable. And we're going to love them in Jesus' name by sacrificing our resources to care for them with a radical kind of generosity. That is Samaritan DNA, and that is the DNA I want in our church and in our hearts. It's what Jesus wanted in our hearts. That's why he told this parable. So we're uh, uh, about the business of blessing people this year. I told you that the word of the year here at Real Life Church is blessing, and we are going to bless people all over the place. If you have not picked up a blessing card, they're in the lobbies, both at the Glendora campus over there and at the Valley Center, Center campus, Val Valley Center campus. And on the back, you're going to list eight names of people that you're going to bless this year. And on the right, on on the left, on your right, I don't know how a camera works. On this side are the steps that we're going to go through to bless people. We're going to put their names down. We're going to pray for them. We're going to find ways to generously care for them, to do things for them uh, that they might not be expecting. You have to be creative here. We're going to invite them into the family of real life, and we're going to lead them by being an example of Jesus to them. And I told you, if you live to be a blessing this year, it will transform what you live for. And there will be people sitting next to you at the 2023 Christmas Eve services who weren't even sitting in church at Christmas of 2022. And I can, I can now guarantee this to you because somebody who is on my list prayed to invite Jesus into their lives this last week. They, they took that first step and are now reading a gospel, attending church, and uh, pursuing Jesus. And so put people on your list, start praying for them, we're going to bless people this year because that is Samaritan DNA. Don't live your life to hoard things for yourself and to save up and to be afraid that you won't have enough. Live with radical generosity and trust the God who says, I know what you need. I want to take care of you. I love you. Trust the God who promised that. That's what faith is. Jesus, at the very beginning, left these teachings because he wants his DNA in us. In Christ, old habits are transfused out and are replaced by a transfusion of the blood of Jesus in our veins. We become different people when we follow Jesus. It changes our identity for the better. In Christ, a new worldview bubbles up, and we start to see things through the lens of the eyes of Jesus, walking close to the heart of Jesus. We're set free from greed for radical generosity, and we're set free from prejudice against whatever group, racial or otherwise, that we've been told was unclean. This is what Jesus wanted in his followers. And I have the feeling that Jesus told this parable hopefully 
that he had a sense that it would be written down and repeated and studied thousands of years down the line. I had the sense that this was a hopeful parable. I'm going to tell you about someone who did it right, a Samaritan. And it's going to teach you about love. And I wonder if today he's still hoping. Hoping that somebody, that some group of people would let this DNA seep deep into their beings. That they might become good Samaritans and live life wholly for Jesus. That's the DNA of the church. That's what he called you and I to. He's still hoping. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for leaving behind such clear and powerful teachings that challenge what we've settled for. And I ask that you would now through this parable and this teaching, call us to a new kind of life. For anybody who's not prayed it before, we pray, Jesus, come into our lives, forgive our sins. We acknowledge that you are our Savior, that you died for us on the cross, and we want to call you our Lord. We want to give our lives to you and follow you. So come into our hearts. Send your Holy Spirit now. Jesus, as we seek to live for you and follow you, transform our identity with your DNA. Give us radical faith that we trust you for everything and radical openness that we love people who we have kept at arm's length and give graciously and sacrificially to people who cannot repay us. Jesus, make us a church, a movement of people who look like you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.